Thank you very much, Neville. Appreciate your help and assistance today. Welcome to Sunday School to our morning worship. Let us turn to the book of um, Ezekiel, chapter 22. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. I knew there was something else in my mind relating to next week. If, if you normally listen uh, through the live stream, the live stream will continue as, as normal. Um, uh, we're able to uh, still, still continue with that. And I know there's some folks outside uh, Northern Ireland. I don't know if, if you will get Radio Ulster or not, but you'll be able to uh, tune in on the live stream as, as, as usual, which, which is good. Ezekiel chapter 22. And we're reading from the verse 23. Ezekiel 22, we're reading from the verse number 23. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. Like a roaring lion ravening the prey, they have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure of and, and precious things. They have made her many windows in the midst there. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have dubbed them with untempered Mortar, seeing vanity and the divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let us bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we come into your holy presence as we consider your word, as we think upon it, as we meditate upon it, we pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us and calling us personally. Father, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. In the verse 30, we read, And I sought for among, among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Uh, there is a difference between the ministries of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. They were all contemporaries with each other. Daniel and Ezekiel were similar in that they were in Babylon. They had been taken captives into Babylon. Uh, but where Daniel ministered in the, the court of 
of Nebuchadnezzar and what a profound impact Daniel's ministry had in that place, the very heart of the citadels of power. Ezekiel ministered to the slaves. Ezekiel ministered to the people who had been taken captive. He ministered to the ordinary people, and he had words uh, for, for them. I, I often think of the, the, the psalmist who, who talked about the, the people of God. They hung their harp, harps upon the willows, and they could not sing the Lord's song in a strange land. Well, Ezekiel was found by those same waters, the waters of Babylon, the rivers of Babylon. It was a, it was a sad place. In Ezekiel chapter 1 and the verse 1, we read that he was among the captives by the river Kibar, but then the heavens were opened and they saw visions of God. And Ezekiel is a very mysterious man because he saw remarkable things, wonderful things. And it is as if during this period in history when there was so much darkness and so much despair, when it seemed as if all was lost, God stepped in and he revealed himself in a most astonishing way. And both Ezekiel and Daniel are characterized by the amazing visions that they saw. But then we have Jeremiah. He too was a contemporary of these men. But where Ezekiel and, and Daniel were carried captives and ministered in Babylon, Jeremiah remained behind in the land of Judah. And there he witnessed the collapse of a nation. And that was a heartbreaking thing for him. And therefore he is called the weeping prophet. Ezekiel lived in a time of amazing and tremendous and terrible darkness. But he did not really have a message of hope for the people where they were at this particular time. Yes, there would be a, a message of hope for the future, for future generations. There would be a great gospel hope and an eternal hope that would Come to the people through the ministry of Ezekiel. Whenever you come to the latter part of Ezekiel, um, some of the things that we read there are amongst the most remarkable things that we read anywhere in God's Word in terms of encouragement. But for the people who were in Babylon at this point in time, there was no encouragement. If they were thinking that somehow there would be a reversal and they would get back to the land of their forefathers that somehow the, the people that were left behind, that they would hold out and they would win some kind of victory over the Babylonians. If they were longing for that and hoping for that, then they were grievously disappointed because judgment was coming and judgment was intensifying and God would just increase the judgment that was coming upon the people because of their sin. But yet here in our text... The Lord, through Ezekiel, is outlining the circumstances in which he would withhold that judgment if there was a man that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap. And if there was such a man, he said, I'll not destroy the land. But yet, no such man was found. We too are living in days of terrible and intense spiritual darkness. And if the Lord was searching for such a person in these days, then we have to believe that it's the same God that's on the throne and he's searching for such a person in these days. 
these days in which we live, he's on the lookout for one person to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. One person. The power of one person. And he's not saying here he's searching for a people. He's not saying he's searching for a congregation or he's searching for a denomination. He's looking for a man, one person, that would make up the hedge. And really the challenge of this message, it comes to me and it comes to you. And it's a challenge for surrender. It's a challenge for commitment to God. Are we willing to be absolutely surrendered to God? That we're willing to be in the place that God wants us to be. Because ultimately, that's what the Lord is looking for. A man who would be in the place that he wants that person to be in. Are you in the right place with the Lord today? Can you look at the Lord with an honest heart and with an honest conscience? I'm in the right place with you, Lord. Are you in the place the Lord wants you to be? Are you in the place that is in God's will for you? Because the future prosperity of the gospel in this land is wholly dependent upon a people in whom, in whom the Lord is working, a people who will stand in this gap that Ezekiel is describing here in chapter 22 in the verse 30 of his prophecy. And so let us think about this text and see how it relates to us and discover what we can learn from it. First of all, let's think about the Lord's search. The Lord is searching for a man that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap. And, and so why is the Lord searching for such a person? I suppose that's the question. Why is he searching for such a person? In order that he wouldn't destroy the land. If such a person is found, he said, I will not destroy the land. Now, the land deserved judgment. But yet God was willing to withhold that judgment if such a man was found. And therefore, he was searching. And therefore, the burden that such a person has is willing to be in the place that God wants him or her to be. The burden that such a person has is this. Judgment is coming. We're on a collision course with the wrath of God. And unless we stand in the gap, a judgment will come. The Lord is searching for a person to be in the right place, to do his work and to do his will, to avert the wrath of God coming upon the land. We can apply that to our own land and to our own nation. And I have no doubt today that the Lord is searching out for a people who are willing to be holy and completely surrendered to him. He's looking. He's searching. The census results were out this past week. And the census results with regard to faith or lack of faith, they make Solomon stark reading. All Protestant churches are on the decline. Roman Catholic Church in the decline as well. More and more people are saying that they are circular, that religion doesn't form part of their lives. And over the last 10 years, the gospel work and our own denomination has gone backwards. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And there's a trend there. And if that trend continues, one wonders where we will be in another 10 years, another 20 years, another 30 years. If that trend is not arrested, surely if this doesn't serve as an alarm call for us, that we need to be in the right place with the Lord. We need to ask questions. Why is the Lord not visiting 
his church with blessing? Why are souls not being saved? Why is the cause of the cross not going forward as it ought to be? If we have this wonderful and this tremendous message, what is wrong? You know, we need to apply this message forcibly to the church, not merely to the nation. One of the most solemn things that we find in God's Word relating to the church of Christ is what the Lord said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And in Revelation chapter 2 and the verse 5, the Lord speaks to the church at Ephesus. And this was a congregation of God's people. A congregation of God's people who had been faithful in so many ways, who had stood up for sound doctrine and for sound truth, who had withstood evil and had withstood the apostasy of their day, but yet they had left their first love. They weren't loving the Lord within their hearts as they ought to have been, and they have lost out with the Lord. And the Lord has something against them because they had left their first love. And therefore, in verse 5, the Lord said, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent to the first works. In other words, get into the gap and make up the hedge. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thy repentance. And that candlestick, that candlestick was the candle that was in the very presence of Christ, the great high priest. He was a high priest in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And that candlestick, it was made of gold. It represents the purity of the church but it was there for showing forth light. That represents the purpose of the church. The church is there to show forth light. But that light can only be shown whenever the high priest is in the midst. And he said, if you don't put things right, he said, I'll just take your candlestick and move it away and the light will no longer shine. And that happened. And that happened. Because the area of the world that we today call Turkey, that was where Ephesus was. These churches were all in what was known as Asia Minor in these days. And there was a phenomenal gospel work that was done in that part of the world. But yet, there's no gospel witness, or very little gospel witness in Turkey today. The candlestick was removed. The cause of the gospel moved on to other lands and to other nations, flourished in other places but it ceased to flourish there because the candlestick was removed. And that has happened over and over and over in world history and in church history. You think of what God did in the British Isles during the time of the Reformation. You think of that great awakening, that remarkable revival. You think of how there are so many signs at the heart of our nation, the constitution of our nation that shows us the, the light that was shining from the past, and yet that light that was shining from the past is just a, a glimmer today because the candlestick is, is being removed. God can remove the candlestick from Ulster. He can remove the candlestick from the free church. He can remove the candlestick from this denomination if we're not in the right place with the Lord. These are days of darkness, terrible darkness, decline. And what are we going to do? Well, the Lord is showing us what we need to do. He's looking for a people who'll make up the hedge. Are we willing to be those people? For the Lord's looking for us. Let's also think about the object of God's search. He is looking for someone 
to make up the gap in the hedge. He's looking for a man that would make up the gap in the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. What is the hedge? The hedge is, is God's protective environment. The fence that God puts around his people. But the hedge here was broken. The defenses had been lowered. Therefore, the church was exposed. Or in this case, Israel was exposed. God puts a hedge around his people. And we, we read about this in the Old Testament frequently. For example, in Zechariah 4 verse 5, the Lord is a wall of fire round about his people. There the hedge is a wall of fire. There he is protecting his people. In Solomon chapter 4 in the verse 12, the church is a, a garden. The bride is a garden. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. You think of a wall garden. The wall is there to, for shelter, and, and, and the wall provides a place where uh, food can be grown, where flowers can be grown, and we've all been in lovely wall gardens, I'm sure, on occasions. And the church is, is a wall garden. God puts a wall in order that the church might flourish and might grow within the safety of that wall. What was the wall that God had put around Israel? Because the wall that God had put around Israel, the hedge that God had put around Israel for our own protection, this hedge that was being broken down, in principle, it's the same hedge he puts around the church today. God put a wall of sound doctrine around Israel. In Proverbs chapter 4, in the verse 2, we read, For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. God gave truth, he gave doctrine. In Isaiah 8 and 20, we read, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And as long as Israel had the doctrine, as long as they, they had the truth of God, they were being kept safe. And likewise, it is so important that we are clear as to what we believe, that we are clear as to the great principles of God's Word, that we are clear as to the doctrines of truth. Once that wall of doctrine gets broken down, the church is exposed to all kinds of error. We get blown about with every wind of doctrine. Therefore, it is so important that we be grounded and settled in our faith because the hedge is a hedge of truth, a hedge of doctrine. But there's also the hedge of pure worship. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 and 14, we read, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after gods of the gods of the people which are round about. And Israel was to be differentiated from the other nations, and that they were to have a, a special form of worship because they worshipped the one living and true God. And therefore, they were to worship that God in the way that God had set down in his word. And they were to have the one altar and the one place of sacrifice. And there were those set times when they came to the temple to worship God. And they had their, their Passover. And they had their Feast of Pentecost. And they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They had the Feast of Trumpets. They had the Feast of Tabernacles. They had the Day of Atonement. And God had defined how Israel were to worship. Whenever they sinned, they had to come with their trespass offering, their sin offering. And they presented their sacrifices, and the priests every day, they offered the, the morning and the evening 
oblation, the morning and the evening sacrifices. And this continued year after year, generation after generation, because the people's relationship with God depended upon worship that was pure. And likewise, God has defined for us how we worship him. Uh, We no longer have sacrifices, thank God. We no longer have an altar because Christ fulfilled all of the sacrifices through the shedding of his own blood. But still, we are to assemble. We're to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We are to come to where God's people are for the purpose of worshiping him. But we are to come carefully. We are to keep our feet when we come to God's house, as the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. We're to come prayerfully and come carefully. We're to come seeking a word with hearts that are surrendered, Come seeking God in our lives, worshiping Him from the fullness of our being, worship Him spiritually, not coming merely to occupy a pew, but coming, attending, giving ourselves to the worship of God. And so we're to keep our worship pure. It's so important if the church doesn't worship God and doesn't particularly have the Word of God at the heart of its worship. God revealeth himself in these last times through preaching, Paul wrote to Titus. And if we don't worship God in this way, the wall becomes broken down. The fence is opened up. Good laws. God gave Israel good laws. He gave Israel his holy law, his commandments. And their lives were to be dominated by those commandments. No other nation had a legal system based upon the word of God as Israel had. Likewise, in the church of God, we're to take care that we do those things that please the Lord. And yes, the law is no longer our taskmaster, but it's our rule, it's our guide. Because after all, Christ fulfilled the law. We can see the the power of the law in him, and therefore, as we grow to be like Christ, we grow to keep the law of God. And one of the problems that Israel had, they wanted to be like the other nations. The hedge became broken down because they had this desire just to be like the other nations that are round about. Whenever Christians begin to think, we should be like the world, to win the world, that we break down these walls of separation. When the hedge is broken down, the church is exposed, and we just become like another organization. May God deliver us from that. The church is not an organization. It should not be treated like an organization. The church is the very body of Christ. The hedge for the people who desire to be more like the Lord. And we live in days whenever Christians think, some Christians think that the way Christians lived and behaved in the old days, that's also old-fashioned old hat. But really, we need to think about what God's Word is saying. What God's Word is saying about things like alcohol. What God's Word is saying about things like Sabbath observance. We need to think about these things. Follow them through lest the hedge is broken down. God gave Israel the hedge of the anointed offices. There were the prophets who spoke God's law to the people, spoke God's word. There were the priests who were sacrificing. And there were the kings. The job of the king was to rule the people. These were the anointed offices. God gave the people these offices for the purpose of maintaining the hedge. And today God gives ministers of the gospel. He gives those who have oversight of the work of God. He he gives us the role of maintaining that hedge. And what a solemn office that is. The Apostle Paul, he he talked about this in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and the verse 11, he gave some, Christ has given the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so the teaching ministry and the, the ruling ministry of the church is given for the purpose that the hedge might be kept, the hedge might be maintained. So basically every Lord's Day we're keeping the hedge up, presenting God's word. And we need to be faithful. You need to be praying for your minister that I would be faithful and all other pastors would be faithful and your elders would be faithful in maintaining the hedge and how vital that is. But God also maintained the hedge through unity. It is blessed for brethren to dwell together in unity. We read that in the Psalm 133. And just as the oil flowed down from Aaron, down his beard, and down his garments, so the Holy Spirit flows down from Christ into every part of the body of Christ and maintains that sacred unity. And where that unity is disrupted, the hedge is broken down. Now, we don't believe in a false unity. There should never be unity around falsehood. Where there's falsehood, we have to resist that. But we have to ever nurture that unity that exists around truth and protect it, jealously protect it. Because when that is broken, the enemy comes in. But what had happened to Israel was that the prophets were unfaithful. In fact, if you look there at Ezekiel chapter 22 and the verse 28, we read, and our prophets have dubbed them with untempered mortar, seeking vanity. The prophets were also building walls, but the mortar wasn't good. And therefore, the wall would be so easily broken down because they were filtering error in with truth. And they were preaching on truth. They were taking the people away from God. And therefore, the hedge was being broken down. So God is seeking for a people today to make up and maintain the gaps in the hedge. And where gaps in the hedge exist, we must be there to make up those gaps in the hedge. But as I said at the beginning, God is looking for one person to do this work. One person. God works in ones and twos. And then he works in groups. But he doesn't work in the one, he'll never work in the group. He doesn't work in one person in this church. He works in nobody's heart. He works in ones and twos, and he works in the group. You know, you read in the Scriptures about how God used one person to do great things. You think of Moses. Aaron was weak. Aaron permitted the people to worship the golden calf. He gave in to pressure. It's easy to give in to pressure. It's easy when a crowd's against you. To cave in. We can sympathize with Aaron, but he did wrong. Moses came down. He broke that golden, those golden calves into pieces. And he melted them down. He made the people drink the very liquid. This is what you have done to yourselves. He stood in the gap. He made up the hedge. And then he prayed. And we have his prayer in Exodus chapter 32. Turn with me over to the book of Exodus chapter 32. I want to show you something about about this prayer. Exodus chapter 32 and the verse 10. So after Moses had dealt with the people and after he, he saw them worshiping these golden calves, the Lord had a terrible word for Moses. He said, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Well, wasn't Moses given a great honor here? Just, just get out of the way, Moses. Just get out of the way. I'm going to destroy these people. 
And then I'll, I'll raise up another nation that'll be better, and it'll be your nation, your people. Moses, on this occasion, didn't listen to the Lord. Because the Lord was only saying this to try and to test Moses' faith. To see what Moses' metal was. So what did Moses do? In the verse 11, he prayed. He stood in the gap. He made up the hedge. He didn't just stand in the gap by speaking against the errors of the people and dealing with their sin. He stood in the gap by praying for the people. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with mighty power? And then he started to pray and to plead with God. The Lord would have mercy. And we're told in verse 14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The power of one man, one man who prayed, one man who sought God. And is that not where the hedge is broken down so frequently through our lack of prayer, whether it is personal prayer or collective prayer. And dear brother, dear sister, if you're not in the prayer meeting, the hedge is being broken down in your life. You're not giving yourselves to prayer. The hedge is being broken down. If that continues in one life and another life and another life, not only are you losing out with God, but we all lose out with God. The church loses out with God. And the nation goes on to hell because God's people aren't doing a work. A work of prayer. The hedge becomes broken. But God's looking for a people to be in that place where we will make up that hedge and stand in the gap. Consecration. Separation. Commitment. Having a burden. Having a zeal. The Lord's looking for such a person. Are you willing to be such a person today? But then we have the tragic discovery, and with this we come to a close. The Lord was looking for a person to stand in the gap. He didn't find such a person. He found none. No one was to be found. Yes, there was a man called Jeremiah who certainly was making up the gap and standing in the hedge, but such was the terrible position that Israel had got into. But God actually said something quite astonishing to Jeremiah over in Jeremiah chapter 7 in the verse 16. He said, therefore pray not for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. I have settled my mind. Judgment's coming. This land has reached the place of no return. There's only one option. Don't even pray, Jeremiah. He wept. He had a burden. But don't pray. Because judgment is coming. God could find no man to make up the hedge. We live in dark, dark days. And you know, and I think of people that we have had in our lives. I think of people who have stood in the hedge. And those people have gone. They're in glory. They're on the prayer meetings. They're in a greater prayer meeting. Prayer meeting that never ends in glory forever. But they're not here praying with us. And there's gaps because they're not here. Others haven't come in and filled those gaps. And we have people in this church that are faithful and committed. The Lord will take them home to glory someday. Unless the younger people in this church are willing and ready and committed to make up that hedge and be part of the work, take the work forward, there will be nothing here in the future. So we built this place, a testimony for God, that God's work might 
go on. But don't let it be said that God is searching for a people to make up the hedge, stand in the gap, that he can't find such a person because there are people here. Will you say, here am I, send me. Let us pray. Father in heaven, write your truth upon each heart. Give each one of us that willingness and that readiness to do your work, to be wholly surrendered to you, which is our reasonable service. Look with mercy and with favor upon this poor land of ours. Write for judgment, it seems. Lord and wrath, remember mercy. Amen. Let us have this final hymn. Our service for God has been barren and dry, and barren it shall remain until we are blessed with a fire from on high and sound of abundance of rain. We'll stand together.
Gracious Father, part us from this place with thy blessing. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the eternal spirit, be our abiding portion, now and evermore. Amen.